Good morning. Uh, words fail to express the privilege to gather together to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. To everyone that's here, regulars, visitors, our desire is that the Holy Spirit would be here in such a powerful fashion that we would see our Lord as we've never seen him before. I want to begin this morning, <clears throat> I've taken the opening, and the opening is going to be a little rough. But I trust that you will stay with us through the later message, because it is otherwise. I invite you to turn your Bibles to Revelation 18. And this deals with Babylon. And I'm not here this morning to teach a <clears throat> prophecy message or even to identify Babylon, other than to say that it seems to be a worldwide system that is run by evil, very materialistic, and God's judgment is going to fall on Babylon. Some people would say that this is the United States. I don't really know. It's kind of my opinion that it's entirely possible the United States is part of it, but I think it's larger than that. Nonetheless, let's just read. Uh, we'll pick it up. Um, we could start and talk about all, all the merchandise of gold and silver and precious stones and on and on and on. And it talks about the slaves and the souls of men. In the 15th verse, let's start. The merchants of these things which were made rich by her, that's Babylon, shall stand afar off for the fear of her torment, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple, and scarlet, and decked with gold, and precious stones, and pearls. Notice this. For in one hour, so great riches are come to naught, and every shipmaster, and all the company in ships, and sailors, and as many as trade by sea, stood afar off, and cried when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is like unto this great city? And they cast dust on their heads and cried, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city wherein were made rich all that had ships in the sea by reason of her costliness. For in one hour she is made desolate. Rejoice over her, thou heaven, and ye holy apostles and prophets, for God hath avenged you on her. I read this passage because it clearly states there's going to come a time on this earth that in a very, very short order, it doesn't even say a day, it says in an hour. And I don't even know totally what all that means, but the whole economic, moral, military, financial, everything is going to change. Just like that. It's going to be over. And I realize this is towards the end of the book. Many people would say this is 
after the tribulation and so forth. I'm not, I, I don't even want to get into all that. But I wanted you to see what can happen. The question always is, is where are we today? That's the hard part. I, I don't know. And I know that the apostles thought their day was coming. And I think if I would have lived right before World War II, I'd have thought, surely this is it. And it wasn't. So we don't know. But I want to point out a couple of things to you this morning in opening. And it's kind of a backdrop. If we look at this map that is up here, how many of you have followed the Nordstrom 1 and Nordstrom 2 um, sabotage? A few of you. It's really, really interesting because the, the green line that is there is Nordstrom 1. This is, a, this is a natural gas pipeline that runs from Russia and it runs into Germany. And really it is supplying much of Europe its natural gas. Nordstrom 2 is the dotted line and it has, it's there and it's ready to roll. But when Russia invaded um, Ukraine, Germany said, uh-uh. We're not going to buy that fuel. This is what's interesting. And this, I'm getting a lot of this information from Omar Safadi, those of you who may follow him. 40% um, of the natural gas that is used in Europe comes from Russia. And a lot of the statements have been these, that they're shipping nothing through them. But according to some of the research I found, they said that they didn't totally cut off all of it. When, when Russia invaded Ukraine, Germany and a lot of those countries objected. And they stopped buying some fuel to try to put economic pressure on Russia. So what happened is then there was only about 9% instead of 40% that was flowing into Europe from this source. The problem is they're going into winter just like we are. And winter means heating homes, running businesses. Uh, natural gas also means fertilizer. Uh, they make uh, nitrogen with it. And so when these things are cut off, it means it's going to cut off their warmth, it's going to cut off the food supply, it's going to have a massive effect. Why am I talking about this? I don't know. There, there's been four places that were um, uh, sabotaged, and it, doesn't, it kind of shows them down here where the red dots are. Uh, two of them are on Nordstrom 1, and one of them is in Nordstrom 2, and that yellow one is a suspected fourth one. And you've got to understand these pipelines are inch and a quarter thick, from what I've read, they're inch and a quarter thick steel, and then they are totally covered and coated with, with uh, concrete. And they're shipping all this natural gas into Europe. So we look at that, somebody sabotaged those lines. I don't know who. It's a huge debate. Some people say it's the United States. Some of our government officials have made statements that make you wonder. Some people say it's Russia. There's all kinds of theories who sabotage those lines is gonna bring all that burden. But here's the deal. There's two aspects to it. This is, we've been reading about the hurricane and I'm not trying to downplay that. But this to me is way more significant when we look at Bible prophecy. The first aspect of it is there is a fiber optics cable that runs from Europe to the United States. And the intelligence communities have worked very, very hard to try to protect that cable on both ends, um, both in Europe and the United States. And it, it has to do with NATO and so forth, because if that cord would be cut, that communication system would be cut, 
cut, it would have drastic implications for the United States and for all of Europe. And so the NATO powers are afraid if Russia is the one that sabotaged Nord Stream 1 and 2, that they could cut that line. And that's what they're, they're afraid of. But there's something else that's more important. Israel has signed a treaty, a pact, with Egypt because Israel has a large amount of natural gas. She has signed a contract to sell gas to Egypt, through Egypt at least, and Egypt would somehow truck it into Europe. I don't understand why or how it goes that route. I don't, I don't know anything about it. This is the point. There's two points. One of them is, in, in Ezekiel 38, it says that the Lord is going to put a hook in whoever that is, usually thought to be Israel. So she said, wait a minute. I've lost all that income. My economy's in trouble. I'm a mess. My military's in trouble. I need that money. And is it possible? Is it possible? I'm not saying it's going to happen, but is it possible that Israel says, wait a minute, or Russia says, wait a minute. We have lost all that revenue, and Israel's getting it. Let's go down and take Israel. I don't know. Could have prophetic implications. Um, there's another thought, and I already lost it. <clears throat> there are three things that are essential in our modern world for, for existence, and it's water, it's energy, and it's communications. And so when we think about this attack on a fuel supply, it's energy, and because it affects fertilizer, it's food, and it has the potential to affect communications. Now remember, the Lord says, in a day, in an hour, it's all going to unravel. And again, I'm not telling you that this is it. I know where it is. My point is, brother and sister, and this is what I want to get to in the opening this morning. Are you ready to lose it all? For the name of Jesus. Are you ready to let go? My farm, my business, my name, my bank account, my food supply, my energy supply. Are we ready? It's going to happen. I don't know when, but it's going to happen. The question is, are we ready to live for the name of Jesus when our whole world comes apart in one hour? That's the opening this morning, and that's the backdrop. I want you to understand as we're going to look at the name of Jesus. Ivan, would you like to lead us in prayer? There's something I enjoy doing. It isn't always appropriate, but a lot of times when I, if I'm at a fast food restaurant or a place of business, and a lot of times they'll have someone there and they'll have a name tag on, they'll have their name written, sometimes their position. So I'll look at it. I'll say, wow, your name's Maggie. What's Maggie mean? And it's interesting, the responses you get, people will say, well, that was 
my great grandmas or one of the real interesting one at least I don't have I don't know anything about it said it was the name of a character in a TV show that my mother liked and uh, I said well have you ever looked up what it means no and about half of the especially the younger people today if you ask them that question what their name means they don't know and in in ancient times, certainly in, in biblical times, a name meant a lot. And so I, I find it interesting to ask people that and see because if you know what your name is and it was purposely given, it is to give you a purpose in life. That's what it's for. And so it's, I think we've kind of lost maybe some of that in our culture, but I still think that's true. So turn your Bibles to Philippians 2. Second chapter of Philippians, we're going to start, we're going to look at name. And we'll get there in just a minute. Philippians 2, verse 9. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, that's the Lord, and given, as Jesus, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things, and the translation in my Bible says it should be, instead of things, it should be those, of those in heaven, and those in earth, and those under the earth. There is a name that it doesn't make any difference if we were created and we were a heavenly creature, even if a third fell and were cast into hell, and to work the works of the devil, there's going to come a time when all of the heavenly creatures are going to bow before the Lord and declare Jesus as Lord. Everything under the sea, everything that everybody that's ever lost their life, anyone that lives today, any king, ruler, magistrate, or the pauper of the earth does not make any difference. Every created being is going to bow to the name of Jesus. And I look at that and I thought, I wonder what the word name means. I mean, we name people, but what's it mean? So I looked up, and this is really out of Strong's, but in the Greek, but you can look it up. There's three things in a name. Number one is to know. When I attach to Clem, and the reason that I have in my heart towards Clem is that I know him. Therefore, I have an understanding of who he is and what he's trying to do. It's knowledge. The name carries with it, every one of you carries with it a degree of knowledge about other people and yourself. The second thing was really interesting, and that is... The word name means authority. And that one kind of threw me for a loop for a little bit. I understand we're talking about Jesus, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But why does a name have authority? And then I got to thinking about it. If I wanted to know how to raise crops, I'd probably talk to Mike. If I wanted to know how to fix my tractor, I'd talk to Kurt. Because their name, to me, represents an authority in a field that I do not fully understand. A name represents not only does it represent um, knowledge, but it represents a degree of authority. 
And that's the reason when you mention my father's name, if you would, and you'd say, John W., he's an authority to me. There's respect there. And the third thing a name does, because of the first two, because of the knowledge and the authority that's there, it changes our character. It reflects a character. And it's important that we understand these things, that these names are important. But there is a name, and that's what we want to talk about. There is a name that when we talk about knowledge and authority and character is above every name. It ever has been and ever will be. Let's turn to uh, Ephesians, the first chapter. And I want to uh, <clears throat> just read one verse. And this is talking about um, our Lord and the work of the Father. And it says in verse 21, Ephesians 1, Far above, this is the Lord, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. That is Jesus. Do you know that the name of Jesus, I don't know what our new names will be in heaven. I don't know what they'll be. But I know the name of Jesus. It's going to be there. Isn't that amazing? It is a name that is eternal. It's eternal in knowledge. It's eternal in authority. It's eternal in character. And we know him. Okay, so let's just start this morning. I want to go to Matthew Turn your Bibles to Matthew 28, a very familiar passage. Verse 19. And this is our Lord speaking. It says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. I'm sure that many of you have looked up the definition of the meaning of baptism. And the water baptism that we practice because it's taught in the New Testament and we're obedient to it is a symbol of a greater baptism. And so when you look up the word baptism, this is what I found. It means to be fully overwhelmed. And I thought about that. I wonder how many times I've said, well, Aaron Miller baptized me. And maybe you could, you could each one of you name been baptized. You'd name the administrator that did it, right? They didn't do it. I hope not. I hope we've been overwhelmed by the name of Jesus Christ, by the Spirit of God, and we are come under Him, we seek His knowledge, we're under His authority, and we are changed into the character born like unto Him. That's baptism. And I'm not downplaying water baptism. I think you understand that. But I'm just saying, whoever baptized you on this earth is not who baptized you. It is the Lord. Let's go to Mark 9. And we're going to just go through several verses fairly quickly. 
Mark 9:38. And John answered him, saying, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name. And he followed not us. And we forbade him because he followed not us. But Jesus said, Forbid him not, for there is no man which shall do a miracle in my name that can lightly speak evil of me. For he that is not against us is on our part. I want to ask you something. I think this is fundamental to us today because of the situation we're in in our culture with all the denominations and all the people and everything else. Do you rejoice that the name of Jesus is shared? They're not of us. They don't do it the way we do. They don't look like us. They're messed up. Well, maybe they are. But it's the Lord's business. You know what rejoice is? I, and I've told you this before. When I drive in the back countries, a lot of times, usually in every little burg, especially in Ohio, India, Midwest, there'll be at least one church. And I drive by that church and I look at it and I think, you know, I don't know what they believe, but I like to think that at least a few scriptures were read every week in that church, right out of the Word of God. And I'm going to say, hallelujah. Do we rejoice because the name of Jesus, it might very well be the reason this hasn't exploded on us yet is because there's enough people that declare the name of the Lord, His authority, His power, His glory, His knowledge, His character. And Jesus said, Jesus said, don't speak evil of them. Don't talk against them. He didn't say to join them, but to rejoice. Let's go into the 16th chapter of Mark. And this is Jesus. <clears throat> Again, right before his ascension. In 17th verse he says, And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils, and they shall speak with a new tongue. And I've read that for years, and I thought, boy, I wish, um, I, wish I could do that. I'd like, to, I'd like to know that the Spirit is with me because when I saw a bad spirit in somebody else, I rebuked it and poof, it was gone and I'd know then, right? We may miss the point that's here. You know what this says? It says, first of all, I think it means even within ourselves, there is an evil spirit and a potty mouth that should not be. And so when we see the Spirit of God working on us, and we look back and we say, I don't talk like that anymore. I don't do those things anymore because I'm a follower of Jesus. I believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I have been changed. I'm telling you, that is a miracle. And if we are working and walking in any holiness today because of the name of Jesus, then hallelujah. And I trust you all are. We are not the same if it was not for Jesus. The name of Jesus. Is it powerful or what? 
I know what I'm like reading without him. I don't want you to know. I want you to see Jesus. Let's move on to Luke, the sixth chapter. Luke 6, 22. Blessed are ye when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate you from their company, and shall reproach you, and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice ye in that day, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for in like manner did their fathers unto prophets. You know what happens when his name, I mean his wisdom, his authority, and his character changes this vile man and transforms it into another person. One of the things that happens is that my name becomes synonymous with the Lord's name. Hallelujah. You are now picked up the name of the Lord and it is in your character. And it is no wonder that all the demons and the people that don't know the truth, they're going to look at you and I, they're going to say we're a mess. We're bigoted. We're narrow-minded. We're not loving on and on. You, you know all the stuff. Jesus said, when it happens, rejoice. Have you ever been thankful that you're different? Or do you work like crazy to fit in and compromise things that we should not? Let's go to Luke 10. And by the way, I'm passing over a lot of places. Luke 10, verse 17. And the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven, and behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. I want to stop there. I've never walked in a pit full of rattlesnakes. And that would probably put more fear in my heart than about anything I could think of. I hate snakes. I don't, I don't think that's really what it's saying. Do you know that when you and I are in the present age, in the present ungodly culture that we are in, we are walking among the powers of evil. And that's what he's saying here. You'll tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. And then we look at that and say, wait a minute. I thought people died at the stake. I thought they were burnt. I thought, on and on and on goes, right? You know, this life is not that precious. Not, we're going to read a little bit later. This is not even one hair of your head is going to be lost. 
the Lord God. Is the power of the name of Jesus powerful? Is it wonderful? Is there victory? If you remember John, I think, said this morning that some of the things of this earth are not really not that important. This is not that important. I don't, don't misunderstand. It is important because of the souls of men. But wow. If we carry the name of Jesus and we're filled with the Spirit of God, it is the greatest blessing that can be on anyone. Then let's read that next verse. 20th verse. Notwithstanding, and this rejoice not, that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice, because your names are written in heaven. Do you know what's more impressive than if, than if we do all these miracles and, and, and everything else? You know what's impressive? Jesus says, the thing that should always be in our forefront and always penetrate is, your name is written in heaven. Is there power in a name? Especially the name of the Lord? Have you rejoiced that your name is written in heaven? I don't know what your problem is today. I know what mine are. Got some real ones. And I forget, if I'm not careful, to rejoice that my name is written in heaven. Nothing greater. Nothing better. And that name is an everlasting name. And we've picked up his name. He's blessing us. Luke 21. Verse 10. It's our Lord speaking. We're going to read several verses here. Then he said unto them, this is the Lord speaking, nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. That's what we're talking about up here. And great earthquakes shall be in diverse places and famines and pestilences and fearful sights and great signs shall there be from heaven. But before all these, they shall lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and into prisons, being brought before kings and rulers for my namesake. And it shall turn to you for a testimony. Remember what I said earlier? I wish I had a testimony and I could just remove all that evil and everything else. You know what the Lord just told us? He said, when this thing starts to unfold and you're brought before the magistrates and the great and they lie about you and they false witness and they do all the things they have to do and they take your life and the whole thing, rejoice! Because it's going to give you an opportunity to testify of the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Is there power in a name? I want that kind of strength when everything comes against me. I want that kind of wisdom when my world is upside down that I know that Jesus is in it and I will testify of him. That's who the church is being called out to. And if you're going to be negative and say, boy, we're clear at the end. This thing's really ready to unravel. The United States is going to be gone and freedom's gone. and the whole, Then rejoice. It's an opportunity, Jesus says, to testify of him. Um, 14th verse. Settle it therefore in your hearts, not to meditate what you shall answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. I want to stop there. 
I don't know how you feel, but when I get in a pressure situation to testify, I feel like my tongue just gets all twisted and, and my memory goes away and I just, I'm just a mess. Especially when I'd really like to, like to just lay out some golden truth that they would understand. And, and I feel so inadequate. You know what this just said? Settle it in your heart that the day is going to come when I will tell you what to say. Is there power in the name of Jesus? Wow. And ye shall be betrayed by, both by parents and brethren and kinsfolk and friends, and some of you shall they cause to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but there shall not a hair of your head perish. Even, even when we're put to death, burned at the stake, whatever it is, God says, I haven't lost track of even the hair in your head. It's going to be okay. I'll tell you the power of the name of Jesus. I want to know him. I want to live totally under his authority. Completely. And I want to grow and build a character that is just like his. Amen. One more verse here, Luke 24. Luke 24, <clears throat> verse 47. And this is after the 45th verse. It said he'd opened their understanders. They might understand the scriptures. 47th verse, and he said, and the repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning in Jerusalem. We must preach in the name of Jesus. There is no other power. There is no other strength. It is not about us. It's not about our congregation. It's not about the denomination. It's about him. And we preach in his name. In his name alone. There's power in that name. The neatest thing about the Christian church is, is the name of Jesus. How about that? Oh, Lord, help us to understand that, to see it. Well, I'm going to switch gears here in closing. I don't know how many of you watched the funeral of Queen Elizabeth or have seen any of the YouTube videos or anything. I got completely infatuated with it. The first thing that drew me to it was in Westminster Abbey where they sang those powerful, powerful Christian hymns. And it just brought tears to my eyes. And <clears throat> when I was watching the day of the burial and they had the queen in her coffin and it was right in the center and on top of that coffin was this beautiful, beautiful crown. Just, just gorgeous. And I, I'm not real sure, I should have researched this more. I, I think this crown um, has been passed from monarch to monarch in the English monarchs. But they were ready to lower her casket. And there was a man, I don't know what his position was, but I'm sure he was a man with the right position. And he was at the right place and the right time. 
And he walked up to that casket and he took a hold of it very, very carefully, beautiful. And he carried it over. And if I'm not mistaken, he put it on a cloth that Charles was holding. I sat there and watched that and I said, you know what? The queen is separated from her crown. I, I never thought about that. You know the only place in scripture where the crown is not separated from the monarch is in the word of God. And it is our Lord. He is never separated. He never will be separated from his crown. This is the name of Jesus we're talking about. Uh, let's look at Hebrews. And look at just two or three real quick scriptures in closing. Hebrews, uh, second chapter. Seventh verse. Thou hast made him, this is Jesus, a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor and did set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Is there power in the name of Jesus? Do we gather in any, any other name? God forbid. That's um, two places in Revelation. Revelation 4. Verse 4. This is an interesting passage because most commentaries would tell you at this point in the uh, um, Israel has not yet been redeemed. And so we're going to see 24 elders here. And most commentaries would tell you they believe that this, these 24 elders are probably the Christian church representing the church of Jesus before Israel is fully redeemed. I don't know if that's right or not, but it's kind of, it, it's interesting. Let's read it. Fourth verse. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. Tenth verse. The four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne, that's the Lord, and worship him that liveth forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they were created. The thought I like here is that there are crowns, of, you know, I, I don't know, I can't, I couldn't even comprehend looking at that crown in England, but I, I have no idea what a heavenly crown looks like. I, I don't know. It's completely beyond, I don't even know how to find out what a heavenly crown. I think we'll see that. We'll understand someday. But in this case, they were given a heavenly crown of gold. And again, I don't even know what that is. But I assume this represents in some form of believers. 
And so they bow before the Lord and they cast their, all the glories that has been manifest among people, among the church, among the work of the Holy Spirit on earth. And all of those things are going to be, they're going to be crowns and rewards. This is probably a Bema seat type of thing. And they have these crowns and they cast them before Jesus because no man is worthy to wear them like he is. No man. I don't know what gifts we have today. We've got a lot of them right here in this little room, let alone all over the world. Tons of gifts and abilities. We're going to lay them at the feet of Jesus because there's power in that name. Power like we have never, ever experienced before. Let's go to Revelation 19. This will be our last verse this morning. Eleventh verse, Revelation 19, 11. And I saw heaven open, and behold a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dripped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. He's called... There's a crown of life, and there's all kinds of crowns in the scripture. But somehow in this heavenly, heavenly crown that is before Jesus, it is a multiple crown. We have no idea all of the blessings that he gives all of us, all the time, every day, every second of every day. And they're all going to be cast to him and he is going to wear a crown that we cannot imagine. Is there power in the name of Jesus? There's power. It is for him and him alone that we live. Remember back in Luke 10 he said rejoice that your names are written in heaven. I want to do something to close this morning. I want to ask you to say with me, thank you, O Lord, that my name is written in heaven. If you're a born-again believer, I'm asking, I'm not forcing anyone to do that, whatever you're comfortable with, but say it with me. Thank you, O Lord, that my name is written in heaven.